Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today I have with me Patrick Kilbane, and he is a partner, general counsel, and a wealth advisor for Ullman Wealth Partners, headquartered in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. Before joining Ullman Wealth Partners, Pat had a thriving specialty litigation practice, mainly uh, in high net worth divorce cases. Pat is also a certified divorce financial analyst and has testified as an expert witness in divorce cases over the last 10 years. He and his firm help women manage their wealth before, during, and after the dissolution of the marriage process. He is the author of Move Forward Confidently, A Woman's Guide to Navigating the High Net Worth Divorce. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Pat Kilbane. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on and having this really important conversation. So let's just dive right into when people are interviewing attorneys, when they're, what are they looking for? How do they even begin to interview an attorney? What what are they looking for? Sure. Well, Kate, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's It's a pleasure to be here and so I, pr- I practice law, and um, if I had your sister who I was talking to, and she said, Pat, I've never even had a traffic ticket. I've never had to hire a lawyer for a real estate closing, for anything. How do I even begin to pick a divorce lawyer? So what I would what I would tell her is, first of all, she needs to figure out what her primary goal is in the process. There are some lawyers that They've been around the sun several times and they don't want to deal with custody anymore or they don't want to deal with domestic violence and all they want to do is divide up assets and liability and deal with the money. And on the other hand, there are some lawyers that just don't care to deal with money issues and they prefer only to focus on the child issues or the mental health issues or the substance abuse issues. So first and foremost, figure out what you know, what, what your goal, what your goal is. And then, you know, I talked to some people who've been divorced recently. Um, you know, who are, who are some lawyers that are really, really good on alimony, for example, and where's their office at? Do they practice in the geographical vicinity of where the courthouse is or where your case is going to be? Because, you know, I know you're in California, Well, somebody who's a licensed California attorney, they can practice in L.A. County just as much as they can practice in Marin County. But you and I both know, Kate, and a lot of your listeners won't know this, that each county and each judge at the judge level, they have their own specific courtroom policies and procedures. So 
I guess secondarily, I would say you have to have somebody who's familiar with your judge. And if you don't know who the judge is at that point, then you want to know somebody who's familiar with practicing in front of the judges in your in your area where your case is going to be. I think that's a really good that's a really good point. You can, you want your attorney, even though you may be licensed in your state, you still want someone who's nearby, near enough that they know where you're where you're actually going to be. And also, you don't want to be traveling to Marin County if if like if I'm in LA, but for everyone who doesn't know, Marin is south is north of San Francisco. Like it's a really far, really far away. You don't no, want you that. Don't, you don't want to travel, and you don't want to pay your lawyer to have to travel. Um, and no, no, yeah. I do not. I do not. Okay, so I like what you said about asking around. Like first of all, figuring out what your goals are. What are your goals? Um, if you know that this is going to be a high conflict case having an attorney who is seasoned and well-versed in high conflict, possibly litigation is important. hundred percent. In fact, um, one of the local attorneys that I do, I recommend a lot and I, I do a lot of work with, she has a master's degree in counseling. So I really like her for those specific high conflict issues, you know, whether the issues are narcissism, enmeshment, whatever they are, I like to also recommend, you know, a a resource or two on the mental health side to help support my client through the process. I mean, I can help give them perspective and talk about it, but somebody who's professionally trained is going to be a way better option for them under those circumstances. Yes. And similarly for domestic violence, right? This is a huge thing because as I've been talking about a lot lately, you know, family court judges are not trained in domestic violence. They're not mandated to be, they're not asked to be, they don't want to be. And so having, if your case is a domestic violence case, which most high conflict cases are, it is important to find someone who actually is trained in domestic violence, has an understanding of what, what your experience is going through this process. I think you hit the nail on the head because the, the judges in, in Florida tend to rotate. Maybe they're in civil and then they go to criminal and then family. You're, you're right. They, they may have a, a part of a day training on domestic violence from the bench. And you know I, I had one judge that I practiced in front of. If there was no physical violence, the judge denied the petition for domestic violence, even though the plain language of the statute didn't even ask for. I mean, physical violence was one of the um, criterion that the judge would consider. But yes, to have somebody that may need to be an expert witness to educate the judge in those circumstances. That's right. So important. So setting your goals and then making sure and getting, I like what you said about getting recommendations. I'm going to speak to the moms here. Every single one of us is in a mom's group in our area, (laughs) like every one of us. So that's a great place to ask, especially if you're on Facebook and you can use the anonymous feature if that's what you need to do. But like, believe me, the mom's groups that I'm in where people are asking that question specifically for, you know, a high conflict attorney, everyone knows somebody who's gone through that. So that's really important. Kate, I'm cognizant that your or your listeners may span the socioeconomic spectrum. So mm-hmm. what what I try to recommend if if somebody going through a divorce has the means, you know, they should go interview two to three attorneys. 
Absolutely. Um, because they're mm-hmm. going to get recommendations and then they're going to be able to, you know, see which attorney they think is going to is going to fit with them, whether that attorney has the requisite experience. Um, you know, the, the, the moms groups are awesome. I mean, people who've been through it, but I think your listeners have to re- remember that in family cases specifically, they're all unique. I have never countered two of the same uh, divorce cases. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny. I was just talking to uh, someone else about this, about the difference. They're like, all cases are unique. And also there's so much overlap and similarity. And us, the professionals, we've kind of heard a lot of it before. But you do want to get someone who really understands the unique nature of your situation. If you have you know, children with special needs, somebody who's going to be able to help advise you in that uh, in that direction. If you have assets, right? If there's a wealth, if there's a wealth issue and a division of assets, you you're going to need to create certainly a team that's going to help with that. But also, you may want somebody who is more used to dealing with high, um, high net worth divorces. That's correct. Yeah, I just want to clarify because I think there's a misconception about this. Most attorneys charge for consultations, right? They will charge their hourly rate for a consultation for the most they, part. They do. And in family cases, I mean, they sort of have to. Can you imagine? I mean, a, a divorce lawyer could be giving free consultations all day long. And at some point, they've got to pay their staff and their overhead and, and things like right, that. Right, so. right. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I just wanted to clarify because I think there's a, there is a misconception about that. People are like, well, just have a, you know, have a consultation with a bunch of people. And as you said, if it's financially feasible to do so. <laughs> right. And and knowing knowing your audience, Kate, of, of you know, sort of a, a pro tip or a hack I would offer is, mm-hmm. you know, some people are in the process of exploring whether they even want to go through it. Right. But the moment that you have a, even just a consultation with attorney, you establish that attorney-client relationship. And what I would tell your clients is to pay for that consultation in cash. Because if you pay for it in cash, Mm. it's not going to show up on a credit card statement that you may have to produce in discovery at a later date. So, you know, pay the the few hundred dollars in cash and that way it's it's extra private that nobody, nobody will know that you're there visiting the lawyer except you and the people in that law firm. Right, right. And if you can't, you don't have access to cash, you know, have your mother pay for it, give them, you know, pay them back, like whatever it is. But I think that's a, that's a very good point. I know that I wrote a check when I went to my first consultation because I didn't want to use the credit card. Um, and I knew he wouldn't check the checks, but okay. So you're in a, you're in this meeting, this consultation, what kinds of questions are you asking? I think that the people, so many people ask me like, what, what are the questions I'm supposed to ask? Like, I don't even know. I don't, how do you interview an attorney? <laughs> what do you, what are you asking? Yeah, have you know? Number one, um, do you have the capacity and the bandwidth to take my case? Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're not going to retire on my case alone, but do you have the attention to give to my case? And if you don't, that's okay. But yep. I think we need to know that. Number two, how do I work with you? Um, like, for example, I, I know things that may seem like emergencies to me are probably not going to be emergencies to you. But in an emergency situation, how do I get a hold of you immediately? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then if you're in a deposition or a mediation or handling somebody else's trial um, and my questions build up, do I just call your assistant and expect a call back? 
Should I call and set a time on your calendar when we both know that we're available to talk? How do we communicate with each other on email? What things do you bill for? If you go and you go see an attorney, most of them will charge for the initial consultation. And then they will also charge uh, a, a retainer. So essentially, you are prepaying for a fixed number of hours of, of the lawyer's time. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens if you have money that you've prepaid for in the form of the retainer and your case settles? Do you get that back? What happens if your retainer runs out? How do you replenish it? So I, I would say that, you know, really understanding what the lawyer expects of you as a client and what your expectations are of the lawyer, those things should be hammered out before you agree to work with a lawyer and vice versa. That's, I mean, that's such a good point because I think so many people are like, okay, and they don't, they don't hammer out those details. They don't ask those questions. And then they're left kind of holding the bag, right? Where they're like, my lawyer's not getting back to me. Right. And I, you know, I, I don't know how to get in touch with him and. Or her. Yeah, or her. Thank you. Um, I, I would also, <laughs> I would, I would also say one of the things that I told my clients to do back, this was back when I was practicing law. Um, I told them to write sort of like a, you know, three to five page autobiography because mm. The facts drive everything that happens in a family law case. I want them to tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly. And of course, this is attorney-client privilege material. And I would keep this autobiography in the front of their file. And you know, if it was somebody that I didn't hear from very frequently or I'm preparing you know, for a mediation or a deposition, I could pull that three to four page summary. They would tell me everything that I wanted to know. And I had it in the front of my file. Mm. So I didn't have to say, Hey, your, your, your dog, your dog, that was important to you, right? You wanted the dog, you want the dog in your case or how many kids do you have? Right. Right. Cause that makes you feel unheard and unseen at a time when that's the last thing you need to feel. Right. Right. Look, look, here's the honest to God's truth. You want a lawyer that's busy. If your lawyer isn't busy, that's a problem, right? Right. That is true. (laughs) Right. So it's that fine line of, I need my lawyer to be busy, but I need them to not be too busy to give my case the appropriate attention. And I understand that they have to keep track of so many different facts. And if I package it up for them and put it right in the front of their file, um, you know, they'll, they'll always at their fingertips you know, have the pertinent information that I think they should know about my case. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I love the idea of a, of a biography like that. It's just, it's just a, it's bullet points or it's just, it's, you know, it's just a really simple way to make someone feel like they're important. Right. And you may have sensitive issues um, that you need to discuss with your lawyer that maybe you're shy and or embarrassed to discuss in person. And mm-hmm. if you put it, in a document, um, hey, you should know that, you know, one of the parties in the case had an STD that the other one didn't know about. And there's issues with that. I mean, trust me, they come up all the time. And somebody who's been practicing family law in the office almost heard everything. So you shouldn't be embarrassed to share those details, but your lawyer cannot be effective for you if you don't tell them everything. They need to know everything. Right, right. And that's really important. Don't hide the fact 
that you had an affair. <laughs> it's going to come out. Just tell your attorney up front. It doesn't matter why or whatever, like just at least give them the information so that when it comes up, they're not blindsided. Right. Right. Okay. And so are there any other questions that you feel are important? I think I think one of the questions that I think is important is sort of like, you know, like we said, like, have you worked on high conflict cases or have you worked on cases like mine? Right. I mean, if, for example, you've got a high conflict parenting case and you know, they, the a lot of the judges don't want to deal with that same case over and over again. So they will refer in Florida, we call them parent coordinators, where mm-hmm. the court essentially outsources a professional to sort of manage the high uh, conflict case. And what I would ask if I was in that situation is, have you been able to successfully bring these cases to a resolution? And how do you do it? You know, again, knowing that that there are some high net worth listeners and some non high net worth listeners, you yeah. know what what is a budget? How much how much should I expect to pay? I mean, I I respect your time and what you charge, but I just I I need to know because you know I may think there certain things are issues, but you have to help me understand how the budget works, how you bill, and I'm going to need to know that some things. I'm just going to have to not bring up and I'm going to have to pick and choose what we prioritize to to solve here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Um, another question I think would be interesting would be like, how do you work with other team members, say a CDFA or a divorce coach or, you know, any or co-parenting coordinator, anybody else that you're going to have on your team? How do they work uh, with those people? Who are the essential experts that you bring in? In every case, does my case warrant them? Um, I mean, Kate, you and I have seen attorneys where in every single case, no matter what, they bring in a forensic accountant and a forensic accountant is not needed in every single case. But and they're expensive. They're super expensive, but you know <laughs> they have their place and they're worth it when they're needed, but not every case warrants that. No. Not at all. So, yeah, that's a great point. Who, um, you know, who are the experts? Do you do you have any local? Do you have some that are not local? Why do you have non-local experts? And I, I, mm-hmm. I have to tell you, there was a if if I can tell a quick story. Please, please, we love stories. I had a, a case where we were trying to value a business. The parties had created a business in the case, and I you know, thought this one particular business valuator was, uh, you know, an excellent resource and did a phenomenal job. And then I went to a meeting of judges and uh, attorneys in a, in a county south of where I live, but where I had the majority of my work. And the judge introduced a business valuator as our business valuator. Well, I made it a point to take that business valuator to lunch and our business valuator became my business valuator. Not necessarily because I thought that person was better than a person that I liked, but because the judge knew and trusted and liked that business valuator. That speaks to so many, that that sort of opens a whole can of, (laughs) opens so many cans of worms, right? Because when a judge has a, a preferred, whatever you want, you know, business valuator, right? And if someone is uses somebody else, right? So let's say, you know, two parties go before the judge. One of them uses his business valuator. The other one uses somebody else. You've got bias right there. hundred percent. And I, I don't think that, I don't think the judge 
meant it in a way that you well, know, but I think he played his hand. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I wanted to make sure the next time I was going to trot out a business valuation expert in front of a judge, front I was going to have yeah. the judges. So I, I think, you know, again, this is back to what I said earlier about why it's so important to have a lawyer who's local, because somebody like me who goes to these meetings and gets to hear the judges opine on whatever it is that they're interested in. Another example is in high conflict cases, we had a we have a community resource center where every case that involved minor children, the parents had to take a four hour parent stabilization course. Sure. Well, they also had a high conflict course. You know, one of the things that I did was I went and I sat through and I took the high conflict course. So I understood what my clients were going, what were they were going through. And in custody cases, even though it wasn't recommended, I suggested that they take the high conflict course. So when they were talking with, you know, a custody evaluator or a therapist who was helping the judge make a determination as to which parent should have the majority custody time, that, hey, this parent took it upon themselves to go through a high uh, conflict parenting course to hopefully, you know, recognize those issues and heed them off before they even manifested themselves in mm -hmm. their case. I love that you did that. I have a client who, a former client, who is in the probably one of the highest conflict cases I've ever seen, um, certainly that I've worked with. And he, I mean, her her ex-husband is a psychopath. So, or soon to be ex, who knows when the divorce will be final, but um, he's an actual psychopath. And so her attorneys ended up taking it upon themselves to take a full-blown training in narcissism, narcissistic abuse, domestic violence, so that they could really get the resources um, and education to be able to support her, you know, which was like, what a beautiful thing for an attorney to do. And now for a quick word from our sponsor, the all new fully revised, should I stay or should I go? After three years of this program existing in the world and changing women's lives, I decided to give it a full makeover. The all new version has all new videos, a podcast-like audio stream if you wanna take the work on the go, and completely updated resources for deepening your learning. The program consists of six core modules. The first of which is, who are you? This is the section in which you dig deeply into your own personal development and get in touch with your inner guide, slay your inner critics, mine for values, and learn how to set healthy boundaries. The second module is how you learn to love and helps you understand your attachment style, love languages, and how to properly love and care for the most important person in all of this, yourself. Module three is called, Why Are Women So Exhausted? And breaks down some of the issues around toxic masculinity and male entitlement, the myth of being a stay-at-home mom, and answers the question, he's fine. Why can't I just be happy? Module four is all about understanding abuse and includes videos on trauma bonds, understanding the cycles of abuse, particularly how they play out in your own relationship, and addresses addiction, infidelity, and mental illness. 
Module 5 is all about healing and moving forward and includes videos about therapy, couples therapy, healing from betrayal, emotional regulation, and grief. This section also includes my 90-minute workshop, Tackling Codependence, as well as my signature relationship inventory that will help you gain complete clarity on all the parts of your marriage and figure out what's his and what's yours. And module six answers the question, is the grass really greener on the other side? With in-depth videos on dating, cultural and religious isolation, and what happens if you end up alone forever? Spoiler, you probably won't. Whether you decide to stay or go, this program will set you up for a lifetime of clarity and fulfillment. And if you've already decided to go, the program will help you unpack all that's happened and help you heal so that you can move forward without repeating the same mistakes that got you here in the first place. This program is priced super low at just $697. And if you use the code PODCAST, when you check out, you'll get $50 off the full price. What are you waiting for? You have been agonizing with this decision for long enough. It's time to finally know, should you stay or should you go? And now back to our episode. So, okay, what do you feel like is the most important part of a divorce, of the case? Can I answer it in two parts? Absolutely. Okay, so number one is picking the right lawyer. Uh Uh-huh. Which is why I love this conversation that we just had. It is so essential to get it right. I think if you get the right lawyer, you're like 90% of the way home. And that's the great news for your audience. Number two is the mediation day more than, you know, around 95% of cases, they will settle at mediation. So I just want to, sorry, I just want to interject and clarify this could, this, this is not just like we hired a mediator. This is also the court says, first, you have to sit with a mediator. Well, either way, either way or however, but, but Mm -hmm. most cases are disposed of by either the parties mediated themselves or the court orders a, a mediator. So the parties get to actualize self-determination in their result. No matter how great the judge assigned to your case is, they don't know all the family dynamics. They don't know the assets. They don't know all the special circumstances of your family. They will do the best job that they possibly can. But even on their best day, they may not get it right. Mm -hmm. So for you to be prepared to have a neutral third party to help you resolve your case, I cannot impress uh, on anybody how significant that opportunity is. And what I would also say about that is even if you don't get it done in one mediation session, you can go back a second time, a third time. But don't give up on the mediation process. Look, there are a a minority, a a tiny minority of cases that have to be resolved by a judge. There's no way around that. But don't discount the value of mediation in settling your case and setting the next chapter of your life up for a smoother ride. Yes, I love that. I love that because, listen, you're going to have your attorney and your attorney is going to work for you and advise you. But once you get into mediation, this is about coming to consensus. Nobody walks away with everything they wanted, but you know, as long as you're keeping the, your children at the center of all of your decision-making, 
it, and again, like you said, it could be difficult. You may have to come back a couple of times, right? But it is, it's a, it's a really important part of the process for sure. I hope, I hope that answered your question. I mean, yeah, absolutely. To be prepared as possible. And it, it's, it's important to get a mediation date set to get a court date set, because even if you don't settle at mediation, that court date is looming and the parties will start to scramble because they don't want to pay the lawyers and the experts to try their case. So another hack is get deadlines set. Yes, right. You get that. You have that deadline. Like you said, they don't want to pay for the attorneys. They don't want to pay for litig- you know expensive litigation, all of those things. But also they don't want someone else to, they suddenly start to think, oh God, what if the judge doesn't rule in my favor? What if they, oh no, they're actually likely, my my attorney says that this judge is actually likely to rule in this way. Shit, I better take, you know, I better take the deal, right? <laughs> you're going to, you know, you're going to take the plea rather than like face life in prison kind of situation, yep. right? Let's talk about your book, Pat. Tell us about the book that you've written, what it's about, who it's for. Kate, I was I was telling you as we were um, getting ready to record. I, I think the way that you see the world and the way you help your clients is, you know, the same way that that I do, and and mm-hmm. I think you and I are philosophically aligned. So I practiced law for ten years, and now I'm in my tenth year in the wealth management world, mm-hmm. and I've helped hundreds of people through this process. I, I love to do it, and I felt like. There was a need to write a book from the lawyer's perspective, and but but also somebody who is in a fiduciary capacity, helping people to make wise financial decisions, pull the curtain back, and really kind of in a, in a plain language, walk um, a woman from start to finish through the divorce process and, mm. and beyond. My book is called Move Forward Confidently, A High Net Worths Woman Guide to Divorce. And it's and and although it is written for uh, a high net worth woman, because you know there's a lot of the book that talks about finances and a lot of the financial issues that high net worth women face and will face once their case is over with. There's a lot in there for anybody, man or woman, going um, through the divorce process. And the book has um, a really good appendix with a glossary to help define terms. Oh, wonderful. Yes. Um, there's examples so of forms. Yeah, there's examples of forms that you'll see that you'll that you'll hear the lawyer talk about in the process. So when you hopefully when you go for your first meeting, if you read uh my book, which is also available in an audiobook format, so you can listen to it if you don't want to read the book, but just get you really, really prepared for what you're um for what you're going to face. And my one of my favorite parts about the book is proceeds from the sale of the book are donated to a local domestic violence shelter. So I don't receive uh any profits from the sale of the book. I mean I'm not gonna say it's the best part about the book, but <laughs> it is a great, great part about the book because everybody knows that I am all about that. So, okay. So from a wealth management perspective, since that's sort of where, where you're at right now, what do you think it's important for people to know going into divorce about their money? What I tell everybody from the wealth management perspective is I have one job and that's to make sure that your money outlives you. You know, and I'm, I'm sure I've, I've heard some of your previous podcasts about whether to keep the house or not to keep the house. Well, there are a lot of people who want to keep the house to keep their kids in the same school district, but then they also want to keep their 
you know, second home, their condo. And what I try to help women going through this process, and, and I don't want to generalize, but a lot of them have had financial decisions forced upon them and they never got a chance to participate in mm. those uh, decisions. So if I can talk with them and help them understand what their goals are, I can show them the consequences of their goals. For example, I want to keep the the marital home, but I also want to keep my uh, condo at the beach. Great, Kate. If that's what you want to do, then you're going to run out of money when you're 58 years old. <laughs> oh, well, I don't oh. want to run out of money. <laughs> yeah. Help me understand how I don't run out of money. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can you can keep the marital home for a couple of years, but then you've got to sell it and then you invest the proceeds and then you're fine keeping the beach. Or we look at, you know, Verbo or Airbnb and, and rent that out, help them show them a couple alternatives instead of just saying, Nope, you can't do that. You're going to run out of money. Right. So I like to, I like to empower my clients when they're going through the divorce process to start thinking about these things. So and again, as as a lawyer, I generally have a pretty good idea where the case is going to settle. But I always tell the clients to let the lawyer tell me what the inputs are. And then I try to help them translate what a potential settlement means to them on running their life, you know, on a, on a cash flow basis. I like that you I, I like the way that you put that, too. I really I like the fact that you're it's not just like, nope, you can't keep the house. Right. It's well, if you do here, here is the, you know, predictable outcome. However, here are some other options, right? Such as, you know, Airbnb or whatever it else, whatever else it is, right? That like, you're not just taking things away. You're providing uh, some, uh, some workarounds that might help them, which feels like a much kinder, like we're already feel like we're losing so much when we get divorced. Nobody likes to be told no, but you know, let's let's see if we can find an acceptable solution. Um, being being creative, looking at things from different angles, being a little bit flexible. You know, maybe putting off that you know master bathroom renovation for a couple of years. And and one of the things that we also do too is we give clients you know a target at the end of every year what their liquid net worth needs to be, mm-hmm. and maybe you know you and I make a deal that once you get to a point where you're $75,000 ahead of your plan, then I'm going to give you permission to go um, renovate your bathroom. <laughs> right. What? But if we yeah. came, if we came out of a, a year like 2022, where it was a, a rough year and, you know, somebody in a capital preservation situation, you know, had a, had a tough year in the market, we're going to tighten the belt a little bit. And we're going to make some changes until we can get back ahead of plan because we're going to get ahead of plan. If you follow the plan, you will eventually get back to the point where you're ahead. Mm-hmm. But last year in November was not the year to take money out of the portfolio to renovate a bathroom. Right. Right. Yeah. So good. So important. Yeah. So this is, yeah. so these are the conversations that I have. And, yeah. and I have to tell you, there is so much about representing great people in divorce cases that I miss. But the great part about my job now is I'm still involved with the lawyer and the client, helping them strategize and optimize the attorney-client relationship and make it more efficient, but then also start thinking down the road and helping my client 
get ready. What they can't see right now because they're so wrapped up in the divorce case. But I already know what I already know what's ahead for them and what the possibilities are. And then, mm-hmm. you know, when they make that metamorphosis at the conclusion of their case, it's awesome to see them three, four, six, ten years down the road. Isn't it? Yes. It's, it's yeah. awesome. I yeah. love my job. <laughs> Me too. It can be hard while we're in it, but man, like later. Later, it's so good. This is, you know, the former client I was just telling you about with the psychopath um, ex-husband, like to get an email from her, I got an email from her this week with an update that, and that was just like, just made my heart melt because she's doing so well. And she's, you know, finally got the judges on her, in her corner. And, um, you know, those are the moments we live for. 100%. And I I think, I think one of the things that that I, I try to recognize is a lot of people in this process aren't listened to. They're heard, yeah. but they're not listened to. So I feel like if I can listen very, very carefully um, to what my client wants and what's motivating what's motivating him or her, um, that it just makes for it makes for a much much better outcome and and and, and relationship, and you build trust faster that way too. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Well, thank you so much, Pat, for coming on and talking to us. Where can people find you, find your book and work with you? Are you limited to state licensure laws at this point? Or can you, for, for wealth management work? For the divorce, you know, there, there are nuances and state-specific laws. But I will say that there is a lot of overlap and, and a lot of generalities. Um, I do help I do help clients in other jurisdictions. So, uh, you know, I'm not limited. If I was, if I was in the situation where I was practicing law, definitely would be limited, but I do have, I do, I have clients all over the country, which is, which is really, really fun. And, and, you know, again, to learn, to learn what's going on in the different jurisdictions, but um, to find me, our firm is called Ullman Wealth Partners. That's U L L M A N N two L's and two N's and Ullman wealthpartners.com. Um, the book is called Move Forward Confidently. All you do is you can Google that and the book is for sale on Amazon. Uh, like I said, the proceeds are donated to uh, the Hubbard House, which is a domestic violence shelter in Northeast Florida. And um, yeah, so I uh, I appreciate being a guest. I hope we can do it again. And uh, I, I hope that I was able to help a few of your listeners today. I'm absolutely sure. Thank you so much for coming on. And all of the links will be in the show notes as always. And thank you so much for being on, Pat. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember... You, my love, deserve to be happy.